are listening to the sermon podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. We're going to continue on in our series called Not a Fan. If you missed last week, it would be really cool if you'd go back and watch it online, uh, just so you can kind of understand the gist of where we are going. And this is a sermon series that's uh, kind of came out of this book called Not a Fan by Kyle Edelman, uh, along uh, quite, a, quite a ways back. But last week, I challenged many of you in here to do your own DTR, and we explained that DTR meant to define the relationship. And we talked about different uh, analogies of how you define the relationship, even in your dating world, and you're like, oh, are we going to go steady, and then you're going to get engaged, and you're going to get married, and these things of where people are kind of, you're trying to understand where you are in the relationship. And so uh, this week, we're going to talk about Jesus defining the relationship on his side, and what he puts on the table. Have you ever heard that uh, phrase of like, you put your cards on the table? Like you don't do it very well in poker because like in Texas Hold'em, you always want people to think the opposite because you're trying to gain something from them. You don't show your cards or you might show one of your cards after you've won because you want them to be guessing. You don't want them to know what you are. You, you don't want them to know if you're really, really strong and so you bet a certain way. And you don't want them to know if you're really, really weak and you're holding that seven-deuce offsuit and you're going to bluff your way to the championship, you know, you, you don't show your cards. And one of the things that Jesus does is he doesn't hide his cards from you. Jesus puts his life, his intentions on display. There is no guessing what Jesus is about. There is no guessing what he invites you into. And so he puts all of his his cards on the table. He's not trying to trick you. He's not trying to fool you. He's not trying to, to make you like, well, I'm not sure. Like, he's like, this is exactly what I'm about. And so today, as we look at how Jesus puts his cards on the table, how he defines the relationship. We can see it even in just one piece of text. I got here this morning at 5.30 and I was reviewing the message uh, that I had put together and like normal, I changed it. No, uh, and I'm going through it and I started reading all the way through this and I'm going through and I'm reading in front and back and I was like, well, wait a minute, Josh, you don't even have to leave John 14 to answer these three questions that you're going to propose to everybody. It's all right here in these short little 32 verses in John 14. And so we're going to spend some time in that. It's not, I don't even know that it's on your notes, but it'll be on, on the slides. But here's some cool things that I love about Jesus. He doesn't make you guess because he tells you who he is. He doesn't make you guess. He tells you where he came from and who sent him. And he doesn't make you guess on what his intentions are with you or what his purpose is. And he lays all those things out. He becomes fully authentic and transparent to you and puts it all on the table and is ready for your rejection or acceptance. He is so on the table that he sacrifices his own life to define the relationship for all of eternity, for all of us. And so as we 
go through these passages in John, those are the three things I'm seeing that that God, Jesus shows us. He tells us who he is. He tells us where he came from and he tells us what his purpose is. And he's offering this to, to all of us to evaluate and look at it. So join me in John chapter 14. You're gonna have a whole chapter under your belt after this service already. And then some bonus stuff. But I want you to think about that. Think about these questions. Who does he say he is? Where does he, what does he say he's about? Where did he come from? And here's the, the context of this is Jesus just gets done talking with his disciples. And in my Bible, it says uh, Jesus comforts his disciples is the heading. And he predicts his betrayal. And then he predicts Peter's denial. And so these disciples are rocked. They've been under the oppression of Rome. Their friends and families have been crucified and hung on crosses that they were made examples of. They are waiting for the anointed one, the Messiah, the Savior, and they're like, we're going to dominate. And like Peter's so excited, like when the time comes, he cuts off that guy's ear and Jesus is like, that's not the way we're going to do it. And then they hear this story of what's going to happen to their Savior. And no doubt, they are concerned. So join me in the text, John chapter 14. Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? Who is Jesus? He is the son of of the living God. He is the son of the creator. He is, he is, he is Adonai here on earth. And if I go and prepare this place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can, we, how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Next verse. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him because you have seen him. And Philip said, Lord, show us the father and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me? Now you think of this. They've been with Jesus for three years. This is the end of his earthly ministry here. They've walked through them. They've been through all the miracles, all the, like they have a history and he's like, We've been rolling for like three and a half years, like morning, noon, and night. We've lived together. Like we're pretty authentic. We're pretty open. You know what's going on. You've seen all of these things. And even still, they're like, we don't, we're, we don't get it. And Jesus isn't going to leave them hanging because he doesn't do that. He doesn't want you to have to guess. He doesn't want you to have to guess where you stand with him. He doesn't want you to not know where you are in the relationship because he puts all of his cards on the table and I sit here and ask myself and ask you guys today, like, are you holding any cards back from the Lord? 
Is there something you're, you're keeping back? That you're, is there something he's calling you to and it's so big and you're so afraid to do it because it's a, such a giant risk? But he's calling us. So uh, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing the work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will uh, do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. If you love me, keep my commands. Defining their relationship, defining their relationship, defining their relationship. There's no guessing. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you. And that will be with you forever. The spirit of truth. So he's preparing them and like, you're leaving us, you're earthly, you're leaving us. And Jesus says, I'm going to provide an advocate to you. So let's pause and time out. We're in church, right? We're in a church building. We're sitting in seats. But the cool show that we have, the great worship that we have and all the music, don't get confused that this is the church. The church has left the building and has entered into your very heart and spirit and soul. The church leaves here. There's, there's, there's hundreds and hundreds, almost seven, 800 churches that leave here and go out into the community to shine a light on who Jesus is and what he's about. And he picks you and me to do that. And that, that spirit is with you. So, uh, and he says, the, the world cannot accept him. The world won't accept the Holy Spirit. The things of this world, the outside pieces of this world, aren't going to accept that you do things by the will of the Father because it doesn't look like it's for worldly gain. That's weird that you would have that much grace, that much compassion, that you would sacrifice that much, that you would empty out your pockets and you would love other people and get, make sure that their needs are taken care of, that you would seek the needs of the world and those that are around you? Like, how are you going to get you and yours? How are you going to uh, uh, you know, drive fast and take shortcuts and look out for number one and build your 401k and have your house and have all your... Like, that's not very American. We're not called to be Americans. We're called to be followers of Christ. So the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives within you and will be in you. So when you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, for those of you that are Christians in here and you said the prayer or you raised your hand uh, at some point in time or you inherited the faith from your family and all those things and you have made a personal decision to be a fan of Jesus, you can correct me on that, right? To be a follower of Jesus, 
When you made that decision, you invited this thing called the Holy Spirit to dwell and reside and be within you forever, to tell you, to convict you, to help you know when you're about to make that decision at that party, you're like, that's not the right one. And I know that. Why do I know that? Because the Spirit of God is within you. And so as you think about this, that he is within you. So God equips you. He tells you what his purpose is. He tells you where he came from. And he, and he decides to reside within you as you put the Holy Spirit in your, in your life. And he wants you to walk out this path. Next. I will not leave you as orphans. This is not a defining. How many people have been abandoned and in a relationship before? How many people know how much that really, really really hurts. You put all your cards on the table. You, you, you were doing all the things that you could do in that relationship. And that trust was violated. That moment in time where you felt totally vulnerable and taken advantage of See, that's not the relationship that Jesus Christ is doing with us. He will not leave you as orphans. He will come to you. Before long, the world uh, will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live and you will also live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father and that you are in me and that I am in you. Amen. This is who I'm about. This is what we're about. This is what we're going to do. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. How many people own a Bible? How many people own more than one? Guess what you have? His commands. And guess what you can do? You can keep them or try to keep them. And you guess what that means? That's the one who loves Jesus. That's who is a follower of Jesus. The one who loves me will uh, be loved by my father and I too will love them and show myself to them next. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, good point, said, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? And then he says, Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home within them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own, for they they belong to the Father who sent me. Where did I come from? The Father. All of this I have spoken to you while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, with whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all of these things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. I don't know that this concludes everything, but this is everything that God wants them to remind, be reminded of. This is what we have. He's a God, he's a Jehovah Jireh, a God who provides, a God who is enough. A God who doesn't make you guess what he, who he is, where he came from, or what he's about. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. 
You heard me say I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you love me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you for the prince of this world is coming and he has no hold over me. But he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. That's John chapter 14. So who do we, what do we find out about Jesus in John chapter 14? That he's the way, the truth, and the life. That he came from the Father, and his mission was to do exactly what the Father commanded him to do. In Luke 19.10, Jesus says to him, uh, he, it's this conversation with Zacchaeus. Oh, wee little Zacchaeus climbs up this tree. He's a tax collector. He is the evil empire. He is the person that is making your world horrible. He's the one that's taking from you all the things that you're working hard for, making it harder for your family to function, making you, you get more hungry. And he is like the evil, he's, he's like the evil empire. Zacchaeus, and he just wants to catch, catch a glimpse of this. And Jesus is walking along, and he says, Zacchaeus, get down from that tree. Tonight I'm going to stay in your house. And the world is like, <gasps> you're going to do what? Like, do you know who he is, Jesus? Do you know what that is? Think of the worst thing right now in your life. Like, think of your mortal enemy. You shouldn't have any because you're following Jesus. But let's just, whoever that is, whatever party that is, whatever person that is, like, you just, when you say it, you want to like spit out of your mouth. That's who Zacchaeus is to Jesus' followers. And Jesus is like, oh, cool. That's where I'm going. <laughs> and so in that house, he, uh, Zacchaeus, and, you know, they have this discussion. And Zacchaeus says, I'm going to give away half of everything that I've done. Whoever I've robbed, I'm going to give them back four times uh, what I owed them. And I'm sure there's lots of people like, boom. Thank you very much, Jesus. And Jesus said to him, today, salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is the son of Abraham. <gasps> you just said he was the son of Abraham, a tax collector. I don't know about this, Jesus. And then he says something really important. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He came down to earth to provide a way for you and me. There's no guessing. There's no guessing what he's doing. There's no guessing where he came from. There's no guessing about who he is. No head games in this relationship unless you put him in there. Jesus puts his cards on the proverbial table and says, come. You want me? This is me. You don't have to guess. And he picks you, and he picks you, and he picks you, and you, and you, and you. He picks all of us. Because he wishes that none would be lost. How many people in here have been lost before physically? Well, none of the guys are raising their hand like, I'm, I knew where I was going. I knew where I was going that way. How many people in here have been lost spiritually? Like you didn't know, you don't know your purpose. 
You're trying to figure out like where you're going and what this looks like and as my identity and my job and I'm going to go to school and I'm going to get this degree and then I'm going to be this. And I'm going to, then I'm going to buy this and you, know, and you keep finding out that like the next step and the next step and the next step, all of the world's next step can, leads to the next step of emptiness. And that there is only one bread of life. There's only one place where you could go and drink and never be thirsty again spiritually. And that's to the Father, through the Son. I love this in uh, Luke 9, 23. Um, he's talking about taking up, and, taking up your cross. And we're going to talk about that in a couple weeks. What does it mean to take up your cross? We'll talk a lot about the cross. But take up your cross and follow Jesus. Luke 9, 23 says, And he said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in the glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. But I tell you, truly, there are some standing here today who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Let's go back to the beginning of this. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me. So who is eligible to come after Jesus? Anyone. Now anyone means everyone. And he puts the ball in our court to come after him. And he says, hey, do you want to? Now, here's one interesting thing that I found about myself. I found early in my faith that I kept trying to disqualify myself from being a Christian. I kept thinking that there was some stuff that I had done that I am so ashamed and so embarrassed of that that would get me out of having to follow Jesus. And so you hear the phrase there? That would get me out of following Jesus. We got a lot of pretty amazing sins in this room, I would imagine. If we could get into the dark recesses of our minds and all of a sudden all of our sins are flashing up on this screen right here, it'd be a bad day. Starting with me. You'd be like, ooh, that one? Pastor. That one. Ooh. But there's this thing that Jesus did on the cross to define the relationship. To open the invitation to the kingdom of God. To not make you guess. No matter how many times you try and disqualify yourself from being a follower of Jesus, he can slap that away. And I started asking myself, like, well, what am I scared of? Why was I, why was I trying to disqualify myself? What am I doing to, to, to try and distance myself from the Jesus? Why would I want to distance myself from this person who puts all of his cards on the table? He does it from the very beginning when he picks his disciples. I like to look at the first disciples. Why not? The pastors of the day, the scholars, the religious elite, all of the smart people with titles the people that you and I place ahead of everyone else. 
in our world today? Who does Jesus choose? And why does he choose these specific people to set the earth on or the world on its path? To take this world that was in complete and total chaos and start to move it to order. And why would he pick me to be used in his plan? Doesn't he know these things about me? He's like, well, you're willing and dumb, so you're in. I'm like, all right, back in. But like, look at the people that he picks. Andrew, Peter, James, and John, the sons of Zebedee, they're fishermen. They're deadliest catch guys. How many people have watched the deadliest catch? Is that only for old men like me? You're waiting for some guy to get jerked off that boat into the cold ocean. Like, there's a reason they got to pay you like 30 grand a month to do that. Because you're going to die or you have a high chance. So these are like the meathead fishermen. They're out there doing this. They didn't qualify to go. They didn't get into college or the right college or the school. Remember when you used to have to try to get in college? Now they're like, come on over. No. Uh, anyway, some colleges. They didn't accept me. I, I entered on probation and, you know. But, like, these guys didn't get picked. So they're doing the fishing work. And it's likely that Thomas and Nathaniel and Philip may have also worked as fishermen because guess what they're doing when Jesus reappears to them? They're fishing. And then you got Matthew called Levi, the tax collector. Like the worst of the worst. And he gets picked. And then you got Simon the Zealot. This guy is like conspiracy theory guy. This is that guy. This is that guy that's just like, Looking over his shoulder, like they have their little knives, they would just walk by and stab somebody. Like, this guy is ready to make, he's trouble. You, if you're that guy, you're in. You know, zealots, they engage in politics and anarchy, attempting to overthrow the, the Roman government. He could have easily been a politician or a revolutionary. And then you have Judas. What we know about Judas is he stole a thief in his own midst. So why not you? Why not you being called to be a disciple of Jesus? What are you you doing in your life? Are you doing any self-disqualifying escapism? I don't even know if escapism is a word, but it sounds cool. In your life right now, are you trying to figure out reasons why you can't be a follower of Jesus? When you started defining the relationship this week and looking at whether you were a fan or a follower, were you moving closer towards being a follower or were you just like, I don't like it, but I'm a fan. I don't really know what I'm going to do about it. I'm glad you're here. Here's one thing you need to know. It's, it's anyone, but it's everything. He doesn't just want a little part of your life. He wants all of your life. He wants us to obey what he has here to bring this chaos into order, not because he needs little minions, but because it's better for you. Because your life is fulfilled when you're in the will of Jesus. Doesn't mean that it's easy. But you get to choose to walk through those doors. You get to choose to follow Jesus. He's already chosen you when he said anyone. 
I don't think he forces us to love him. That wouldn't be real love. When he says we're made in his image, do you want to force your kids to love you? Or do you want them to want to love you? Jesus has always done his part. He's always been transparent. He's always vulnerable. He always puts it out there. The question is, are we going to do our part? And we're going to talk more about that cost because there is a cost. And here's the cool thing. In our sermon club, one of our guys said this, and it was great. He's like, you know, we were talking and people were asking pretty basic questions. And there's always a cost, though. You just are defining which cost you want to pay. Do you want to pay the cost of not following Jesus? Do you want to be able to see what that looks like in your life? You can see it right now. Or do you want to pay the cost of following Jesus? But there is a cost. We'll talk more about that. Jesus lays out his cards. What are you going to do? Join me in Deuteronomy 30. As we close... And the subtitle on this is, is, is Choosing Life. And so this is before Jesus is on the scene. We're way back. We're in the Older Testament in Deuteronomy. And the message is still coming out. What are you going to choose? This God loves you so much. He doesn't make you a robot, which sometimes I wish he would have made me a robot. Because I don't like failing over and over again, especially in front of all of you. Especially in front of my wife. Especially in front of my kids. But then I revert back to like, he wants to be loved by somebody who wants to love him. He wants to be followed by somebody who wants to follow. So look at Deuteronomy 30, 15 through 20. See, I've set before you today life and good and death and evil. And that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes, and his judgments, that you may live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. That's what the desire is. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear him, and you're drawn away, and you worship other gods, and you serve them, does that does that get anybody like it gets me? Do you start having things flashing in your head about other things that you're serving? Things that are getting in the way of following Jesus? If you do that, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land in which you cross over the Jordan to go and possess. I call heaven and earth as witness today against you. Remember, it's a if you do that. God's going to do his part. He was doing his part in the Old Testament, Older Testament. He does his part in the Newer Testament. He's doing his part today right now. He puts that choice in front of you. I call heaven and earth as a witness today against you that I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days. 
and that you may dwell in the land in which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give them. Is he laying his cards on the table what he wants for you? He wants you to choose to follow. He doesn't need more fans. Fans are confusing and fickle. We have lots of fans of Jesus. We have lots of fans of religion. We have lots of fans of Christianity, which makes it hard to figure out who the followers are. At this church, you are not going to be asked to be a fan of Jesus. You may stroll in here as a fan, but you're going to find out that being a fan here is uncomfortable. You're asking me to get into a life group again? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, followers of Jesus are in community. Followers of Jesus study his word together. Followers of Jesus get together and pray together. Followers of Jesus go out and serve their community. Followers of Jesus take care of their neighbors. Followers of Jesus do all of the things that Jesus talks about in this book. I wonder if Jesus came to our church and he was up here and he was seeing what was going on, if he'd be like, yay? But we're not here to create fans of Jesus. We're here to create followers of Jesus. That's what I'm called to do and that's what I'm called to try and be and I fail in front of you guys often. But I'm failing towards following. And that's what I want to continue to do. Do you want to dwell with what God has for you? Do you want to live where God wants you to live? Not physically, but spiritually. See, his dwelling place is for followers, not for fans. And the great thing for all of us is we get the choice. We get to choose to be followers, we get to choose to be fans, or we get to be choose to just be deniers. But Jesus puts his cards on the table and he wants a relationship with you sitting right in your seat, right where you are right now. One of the questions in our sermon club is like, if he wants a relationship with you, why does it have to be so hard? I don't know. Why do we make it so hard? What do you gain if you gain the whole world, but you were just a fan of Jesus while you were here? Why would you choose to take up the cross like we're going to talk about in a, in a couple weeks? What does that mean? So Jesus lays all of his cards on his table all the way to the point of death on this earth. And so what I want you to clearly understand from today's talk is that Jesus has defined his side of the relationship. He invites you to join him in his mission to reach the world one, well, that's our, to reach the world for Jesus one person at a time. He wishes that none will be lost and he wants people to see what he looks like through you and you're like, well, that's not a good representation. We have the option to change. Now, are we going to be the perfect representation of Jesus while on this earth? I don't think so. He would be thinner and smarter and all of these other things that I'm not but I will strive towards being a follower of Jesus. And he lays it all out on the cross. Let's take our time to come to communion. If you are new with us today, we celebrate communion every week. We celebrate that Jesus came to this earth, lived this life, gave us this text, gave us the New Testament, gave us all of this stuff, brought it to us and said, hey, no secrets here. And he did this defining thing on the cross, which you celebrate. So if you don't have communion, raise your hand and... uh, Randy or Ron will get it to you, and we want you to be able to join in with us. 
So when we come to this, we are defining, we are seeing his defined relationship. He went all the way to death for you and I. To an earthly death. But when he went to this, he left us an advocate. He left the Holy Spirit to dwell in each one of your hearts and the church exploded. And it explodes through you. So when you think about Jesus and the fact that he lays his cards on the table, it helps us to understand his part as he defined the relationship. We still get to choose to do our part. Are you a fan? Are you going to be a follower? Let's effort to be followers. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took that bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body. This is for you. Do this in remembrance of me, followers. Let's be followers. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is in the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me, followers. Father God, I just thank you for this time today. I thank you for the people that you brought here online. I thank you for the people that you brought into this room. Lord, I ask uh, that, that your word just be knitted into their heart, Lord. I praise you for your word, for the gift of the Holy Spirit. I praise you for John chapter 14. I praise you for Deuteronomy 30. I praise you for giving us a way and speaking to us, Lord. And Father God, your word does not return void. I think there's people in here today, Father God, that are evaluating this, that see that you have laid your life out for us, literally and figuratively. That you're not playing relationship games with us. You're not making us guess. That you are passionate about your people. You, you made us good. You said we were tov mayod. You said we were very good. The minds and hearts that you've put here in this room, Lord, you've put for a purpose. Let that purpose be revealed that it's your purpose for your plans, Lord. Please help me to not confuse my plans and my desires, Lord. Let them be your plans and your desires. And I ask that for every person in here, Lord. Thank you for being clear. Thank you for for laying your life down for us. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to choose life or death. Lord, let us choose life, life with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.